Welcome to the Argumentative Indians podcast. Argumentative Indians is India's first non-partisan platform dedicated to sharing of bold ideas and intelligent insights through in-depth discussions with thought leaders in politics, society and culture. India hopes to grow its strategic partnership with the US while at the same time retaining its special relationship with Russia. But as the US-Russia ties revert to Cold War hostility, will India be able to maintain this delicate balance or will it be forced to choose one over the other? And who will India choose? The long-time steadfast friend or the new wealthy suitor? We have brought together some of India's most prominent experts to share their view on the subject. The conversation will be moderated by Mr. Yajur Arora, a co-founder of Argumentative Indians. Namaskar, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Today we have the honor of hosting five very esteemed panelists from diverse fields to share their views on the evolving Indo-US and Indo-Russia relations. Please allow me to briefly introduce Mr. Ashok Sajanhar, who served as India's ambassador to Sweden, Latvia, and Kazakhstan, and he's currently the president of Indian Institute of Global Studies. We have Major General P.C. Karbanda, who is a veteran of 1971 Indo-Pak War. He's a, he's a senior fellow at CLAWS, Center for Land Warfare Studies. Then we have Emily Tamkin, who's a well-known American journalist and the U.S. editor of New Statesman. We have Brigadier Pradeep Sharma, who has over 35 years of active military experience. He's a well-known speaker on contemporary topics of national security and counterterrorism. We have Commander Dr. Shashir Upadhyay, who's Associate Professor and Associate Dean at Jindal School of International Affairs. He's a former Defense Intelligence Officer with vast experience in Indian Navy. He's the author of India's Maritime Strategy, Balancing Regional Ambitions and China. Welcome all of you. Thanks a lot for joining our panel. We look forward to um, hearing your views and insights. Thank you. Um, so uh, let's start with the topic of Quad. Last year, the annual India-Russia summit was canceled for the first time in 20 years. The official reason for canceling was the pandemic, but no one actually believes that as meetings with other countries have been going on virtually. Many analysts believe that the real reason was Russia's displeasure at India's recent active involvement in the Quad, a loose military alliance, or you could just call an informal, informal forum for cooperation between India, US, Japan, and Australia, ostensibly to contain China. My opening question is, are we slowly losing Russia? And uh, I would like to invite uh, Ambassador Sajjan Hart to answer that. Thank you, Yajur. Thank you for uh, the invitation to participate in this uh, forum. I'm delighted to be here. To respond uh, briefly and directly to your question, are we losing uh, Russia? My answer is no. I think our relations are uh, very strong, dynamic, vigorous, and I could give you several examples. Of course, you've given the example of the uh, summit being uh, postponed. I'll not say cancelled because uh, we had the visit of our foreign secretary to Moscow in February. We had uh, Lavrov coming here last month, and they were basically discussing when the summit can take place. Uh, the prime minister had a conversation with uh, President Putin very recently, 
and you would have seen, and this came just after his conversation with President Joe Biden. And he came out with a tweet and he said that uh, I'm uh, delighted to have had this conversation with my good friend, uh, President Vladimir Putin. You would see that uh, Russia was one of the first countries, if not absolutely the first country to offer help and support to India to deal with the second wave of uh, COVID. So I would say that our relations are strong, our relations are vibrant, we are nowhere losing Russia. Yajun. So you brought up the recent um, visit by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, who visited Delhi and then met with his counterpart, obviously Subramanian Jayashankar, but did not meet with the Prime Minister, and who was apparently busy with the Bengal elections. And then after that, Mr. Lavrov then just jetted off straight to Islamabad, where he met the Pakistani Prime Minister, Army Chief, and the Foreign Minister. So Michael Kugelman, who is an Indo-Pakistan expert at the Washington-based think tank, Wilson Center, he has stated that PM Modi not meeting with Lavrov certainly comes across as a snub. Do you think Mr. Modi snubbed Lavrov because of Lavrov's decision to visit Pakistan on the same trip? Well, uh, you know, there used to be a phrase uh, which was called hyphenation, India-Pakistan hyphenation. That is, uh, that used to be particularly prevalent as far as the West is concerned. Whenever a Western leader used to come to India, they thought uh, it necessary to also travel to Pakistan. But uh, that uh, hyphenation was stopped in 2000, March 2000, when Bill Clinton came to India. He came to India for uh, five days. He visited five cities. He, on his way back, he stopped only at the Pakistan airport for two hours and he addressed the people of Pakistan from there. So I think this hyphenation has uh, gone uh, out of the window forever. We don't look upon it as a hyphenation. I think the nature, the strength, the depth of our relations with uh, Russia is much greater than what uh, Pakistan can ever hope to uh, aspire for. So I don't think that, uh, uh, I think it was some scheduling, you know, to uh, respond to your first uh, comment that Prime Minister Modi did not meet him. Uh, it was uh, some scheduling uh, uh, issues that the Prime Minister was not in town, so he could not meet. This is not the first time that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, uh, something of this nature has happened. And of course, uh, we, India does not equate itself uh, with uh, Pakistan, that if Mr. Lavrov is going to Pakistan, that we would feel an affront or we would feel uh, that, uh, you know, he is doing something that he should not be doing. Yes. There's not much concern from a diplomatic standpoint. <clears throat> While we're on this topic, I'd just like to bring in the defense angle as well. So relationships between, relationship between Russia and Pakistan has been warming up pretty, since, pretty much since 2016. They've been doing joint military exercises, and now Russia is even supplying Pakistan with MI-35 attack helicopters, um, anti-tank systems, air defense weapons. How does this impact India from a security standpoint, given that 86% of armaments used by India are still of Russian origin? And on this, I would like to get the view of uh, General Karbanda and Brigadier Pari Sharma. Thank you, Yaju. I'm really honored to be here addressing this webinar. It's a pleasure to take part in this. Now, that the contours of the Indo-Russian relationship are changing. Similarly, the contours of the Pakistan-Russian 
relationship is changing. Like you said, 86% of our war fighting equipment. To that, I'll add in the last five years, Russia has provided 49% of our defense imports. It's a very sizable amount. And for a long time, in the foreseeable future, we are going to be dependent on them. However, there is a shift. We are diversifying. The Russian-Indian relationship, like Mr. Sajanar said, is time-tested, etc., solid, but in the changed global dynamics, no relationships are permanent. Our relationships are strong. Like he said, there's no snub to Mr. Lavrov. It's a normal thing which happened. But the increase in the joint exercises and Pakistan getting militarily closer, getting attack helicopters. Listen, the Russians want money. Exports mean big, they're big ticket export items. If we are diversifying and we only gave 46% as compared to 90% earlier, we've had other partners giving us warlike equipment. So while we will continue that they're giving the Pakistanis, so be it. We are prepared, there's no issue. Okay. General Brigadier, do you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, first, thank you very much for having me on your show and on this interesting debate. Uh, it shapes opinions and it shapes minds, which is what, what I'm looking at. So it's wonderful to be here. Now, my take is a little different. We've relied on, uh, on the Soviet Union and uh, subsequently Russia for a long time. Uh, now we are, we seem to be gravitating and and you know quietly sort of shifting towards uh, uh, the U.S. and the Western world, uh, including France and and Israel. Uh, a country has to do what it has to do in its own interest. And India today finds itself in a peculiar and I would say a, a very sensitive and uh, uh, delicate, advantageous position where uh, we can get the best from both sides. Both need India in their own interests. So it's, it's diplomacy and it's politics uh, with a deep thought and a, and a vision uh, which is going to land us in good stead. So now how far we can carry both of them in a balance is anyone's guess at the moment. And perhaps once this COVID situation, uh, you know, is behind us, we'll get a true picture. But nevertheless, we can expect Russia, uh, you know, with, with Turkey, Iran, uh, China, Pakistan, uh, to show interest in Pakistan too, because that's where then they leverage, um, uh, you know, our relationship uh, against uh, the U.S., Similarly, a little bit of bubble here and there uh, to express their resentment on issues like quad 
are bound to happen. So no journey in international politics and international relations is free of hiccups. It all depends on how smoothly we can circumvent these hiccups and move ahead. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So speaking of what, um, can I get your opinion on this, uh, Mr. Upadhyay? What, how, um, how serious is the Chinese threat in the Indo-Pacific and do we really need the quad? Okay. Uh, well, uh, you know, we've seen the rise of Chinese uh, economic, political and maritime influence in the region over the last decade. And 2009 is when uh, the PLA Navy for the first time entered into the Indian Ocean region on anti-piracy patrols. And since then, uh, they made some very quick gains. And by 2017 is uh, when they had established a naval base at Djibouti. And 2017 is also the time when Doklam happened along the LAC. So for a long time, you know, India had a huge geostrategic advantage because of the Andaman Cover Islands and, you know, our location in the Indian Ocean region overlooking the Chinese slocks, you know, all the trade routes uh, past south of India. Yeah. But I think uh, ever since the PLA Navy has set up a base in Djibouti, I think a lot of uh, that influence which we had is kind of diluted. And therefore, for us, uh, plus uh, we've seen, uh, you know, the growth of the Sinopark Nexus, which is very alarming. Uh, also, the, the BRI, which will connect uh, through the CPEC, the, the Chinese-Pakistan Economic Corridor, uh, logistics connectivity from Guadar leading right up to China. So these are very dangerous developments for India. And for us, uh, the threat of a two-front conflict is very real. And that is something, you know, which India alone, I don't believe, can balance. And we really need the quad in order to counter those threats plus quad again you know brings us quad is basically a grouping of all the four major democracies in the indo-pacific region and what we're trying to do is basically defend the extent uh, the global order a rules-based uh, global order uh, and we see for the first time uh, you know a rising superpower like china which is challenging that and there is no counter unless india unless these four democracies stand up together there's nobody to counter china uh, in this region and so for, in that sense the quad is extremely important Emily, do you want to bring in your take as well on that? Emily, do you want to add to that? Me? Um, yes, I do. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. It is great and very humbling to, to be here. Um, I think, first of all, I think we should be clear on what the Quad is not. The Quad is not another NATO. The Quad is not uh, the sort of alliance in which the United States demands the kind of fealty that we have with our, with our allies. Um, and I think that's important, right? I think the ask that's being made of India here and, and to acknowledge that it's not, it's not the UK, right? It's not Germany, that that's important, that this is a strategic partnership um, in which people will have disagreements and, um, uh, but, 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 you know, in, which can nevertheless serve as kind of um, a structure to counter this, this threat from China. The other thing that I wanted to just stress as we talk about this is that the framing for this conversation is does India moving closer to the US threaten the Indian relationship with Russia? And I would agree with everyone who said that while it might change the contours of the relationship, the relationship itself will, will endure. Um, but I'd just like to note that the flip side of this is does Russia moving as close as it is to China, is Russia threatening its own relationship with India, right? Because um, that's the other, the way I see it, that's kind of the other side of this, of this coin. I was in 
Delhi in 2019, 2020, um, reporting on the India-Russia relationship. And as an American, it's very, it's kind of, it's strange to wrap one's head around this idea that you, this is your great friend, this is your strategic partner, your longtime, your longtime pal, and yet they're this close to China with whom you have all of these other disputes. And I understand that the Indian positioning is different, right? And that there isn't the same kind of you're with us or you're against us. And, and so India can work, uh, so, and so Russia can work with China and still be friends with India. But the reverse of that is that you need to have parity. And that means that Russia needs to understand that India can work with the United States and still maintain this relationship with Russia. Thank you. So it's inter interesting you brought up the point about like United States doesn't expect the same kind of fealty as they would probably expect from their NATO partners. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the other two are already U.S. allies, they're former yeah. U.S. allies. But that's basically the view that's been voiced by Russia. I would like to, um, so I think recently, the very senior Russian officer, he stated that India is currently an object of Western countries' anti-China games and the West is attempting to undermine India's close partnership and privileged relations with Russia. This, the Chinese share pretty much the same view as someone who lived in Hong Kong for three years, I've been reading Global Times. I know the Chinese perspective is India is nothing just a pawn in US hands, or it's turning into one. So my question to everyone is like, what is your, against the Emily, you since you're seeing from an outside, is that a widely held perception even in the West <laughs> that now India's slowly becoming a Western stooge? Uh, I just really want to stress that that is not at all the perception here in Washington. Um, I can understand why Russia and China think that, and it's, you know, that's their right, that's their prerogative to see it that way. But I actually think that it's, it's been hard for people in Washington to under, certain policymakers in Washington, to understand that India is never going to be just another partner. It's not going to be another ally. It's going to have a degree of foreign policy, sovereignty, and independence that, just speaking very plainly, most American partners and allies don't have. Um, and I think that that's appreciated in Washington. And, and you know, we'll see with the S-400, if, if India does not get the sanctions waivers for the S-400, we can revisit this conversation. But the fact that they're likely, that, that they're expected to get those waivers, I think speaks to the fact that the United States is not trying to, um, to dictate to India what it can and cannot do. And I think actually, two things. First of all, I think we would not be having this conversation about the closeness, um, this close defense and security relationship between India and the United States without China. So the Chinese view can take that into account as well. Um, and secondly, I just think that uh, it's actually, it's to me, it's remarkable how far people in Washington, which does not do well very often with uh, nuanced foreign policy positionings, have actually come to appreciate that India has this kind of um, privileged standing, you know, that, that we have the shared interest, that interest is China, and that we need to um, respect India's unique foreign policy positioning to work together. Thank you. Um, yes, please. Uh, I think so after. Uh, okay, Pradeep Yaws. After General Pravinder, we go to Brigadier Sharma. Yeah, Pradeep Yaws. Okay, all of you. I think everyone has a take on this, so I'll let you go. Please go ahead. All right. Yazur, if I can go ahead. Yes, please. You know, uh, international relations are not based on. Um, how should I say, uh, history or on uh, on morals and you know principles and things like that? They are actually driven by national interest, and and therefore it's going to be a challenge for India. But I don't disagree with any of the analysts. I tend to agree with them most. But it's going to be a challenge for India 
to actually sift through the facts and indications and then head towards whatever is a better option in our national interest. <clears throat> For example, if Russia is close to China, can we leverage that closeness to bring in peace with China and, uh, and settle issues along the boundary? Would a confrontation with China uh, where by teaming up with the Americans, would that serve us better? Or would it ultimately be used only as a leverage uh, to resolve various issues uh, in our subcontinent along our borders? Now, at the moment, I think uh, the Biden administration is too new. They are making announcements. They are trying to look at their own laws. ITAR is one. Their defense exports uh, is another one. Uh, we recently had a hiccup in the supply of uh, vaccine-making uh, uh, you know, substances. So there will be hiccups. We have to let this uh, administration settle in. And we have to also play the Russians uh, to leverage and to arm twist China. And where possible, Pakistan. We have to look at things which are towards... Uh, which are for our uh, you know, advantage and benefit. So going by semantics and going by indications of a press statement loan is not the way to read into international relations because behind the press statement and behind various uh, visible acts, <coughs> there is a lot of uh, track to diplomacy which goes on. So I, I think I would leave it at that. Let the uh, you know, others take on from where, uh, where I've left off. Okay. General Karvana, you want to go ahead? Thank you, Yaju. Now, Emily, we need to understand why are Russia and China getting together? Unfortunately, the United States is the driver. In that, consequent to the trade war and so on and so forth, China was... The China-US relations dropped. Strategic competition, whatever, whatever. On the other hand, you also had pressure, sanctions being put on Russia. Thereafter, the second lot, which came in the month of end March, early April, has driven the Russians even closer into the Chinese arms. Now, is, is that there is a need for us to understand which is the bigger evil between uh, the old administration and the fresh. There's an it appears <coughs> that the US can come to a working relationship with China, but Russia being the most powerful country who can actually do damage militarily to the US is a bigger threat. So this is what is driving them together. There is a need. Now, India has a very good equation of strategic relationship with the US. It's on very good terms with, the, with Russia. India has the capability of trying to get a common meeting ground or improve relationships, at least between Russia and the US. 
Ambassador Sajinar wanted to say something. So please. Yes, I did. I did. Thank you very much, uh, Yajur. And you know, just uh, there's a very interesting conversation. I'll uh, like to make uh, two or three very quick points. Number one, Yajur, what you said uh, about uh, you know uh, India being uh, drawn by the West into the Quad, into the uh, sphere of influence of America, it was actually said by Lavrov himself when he was addressing a major uh, think tank in uh, Moscow. And uh, this, of course, uh, immediately invited a rebuttal from the Indian Ministry of External Affairs, which said that uh, our relations with any one country are independent of the uh, relations with other countries. And you would recall that uh, after Lavrov's visit, when uh, Dr. Jashankar was addressing a particular conference, he said uh, that uh, no country can dictate how India should run its foreign policy and with whom we will have relations or will not have relations. So I think as far as that is concerned, it has been uh, quite clear. Second point is I fully agree with what uh, General Kharbanda has said. Actually, uh, Russia has been uh, thrown into the embrace of China by the Americans and by the West. You know, whether it is after Crimea, it is after uh, Ukraine, now more recently, uh, earlier it was also 200, 2016 elections, intervention there, now it is a cyber security attack, it is also Alexei Navalny. You look at the report, the declaration of the G7 that has come out, meaning there is a whole litany of uh, items, uh, uh, litany of items, uh, complaints that the United States has against uh, Russia. So I was uh, actually hopeful when Mr. Trump had come that he wanted to improve relations with uh, Russia, but he was not allowed to by the Congress. And now with uh, Mr. Biden there and Democrats having their own issues with uh, Russia, I don't see any hope of uh, betterment of relations, but that is a pity because uh, uh, the United States has identified uh, China as the major competitor or major threat. And uh, like Nixon had gone to uh, uh, China in 1971, so that two countries could get together against the third. So here, I think uh, the United States definitely needs to get together with Russia if we have to counter uh, uh, China. The last point uh, I would say is that uh, uh, Russia has emerged as a junior partner of China. And what I can see, uh, at the moment they have no choice. That is why even Lavrov was using the same terminology that Quad has emerged as a nation, NATO, which a uh, same terminology which uh, China uses, which Global Times uses. So I think either willingly or otherwise, they have no other option but to toe the China line. But my own assessment is, that long-term convergence between uh, Russia and China is a huge question mark because there are going to be areas, whether it is Central Asia, whether it is East Europe, where there is going to be a contestation between these two states. So it is uh, in the interest of India and hence also in United States that India and Russia have uh, good relations and have uh, strong relations. We can take this last point forward if you want going uh, ahead. But uh, I feel that uh, if uh, all the countries want to counter China, it is uh, India-Russia strong relations are in that context very uh, useful and necessary. Last point on the Quad, let us not look at the Quad only from the point of view of maritime security and countering China. 
you would have seen the last ministerial meeting, also the last Quad Summit on 12th March. There are a whole lot of items, whether it is uh, infrastructure, sustainable uh, uh, development, it is uh, vaccine production, it is emergent technologies. Uh, there are uh, 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 sustainable infrastructure, transparency in uh, uh, infrastructure. So there are a whole lot of issues that uh, the Quad is going to get engaged in. And let us not uh, sort of, you know, just uh, reduce it only to maritime security and conquering China. Sorry, I've taken a little longer no, than no, I intended to, but this is... Uh, so a lot of you issue. rightly believe that India is an <clears throat> independent foreign policy and it is, and what, what relationship India has with one country are independent of what relationships it has with another country. Rightly so. But what if the other countries don't have that view? We lived in, during the Cold War, India, want, India had tried to pursue a non-aligned strategy, but for whatever reasons, it ended up in the Soviet camp. Whether it ever acknowledged it officially or not, that's a different matter. But that's how the whole world saw it. Now, a lot of analysts believe that India-US-Russia relations are going back, in fact, getting worse than they were during the Cold War. Let's say we enter into another global atmosphere where on the one side you have the West, on the other side you have Russia and China. India may want to remain independent and have relationships with both, but what if they don't leave that room for strategic autonomy? The kind of strong comments we see from people like Lavrov on the Russian side, and if you look at what the outgoing US ambassador said earlier this year, that India will sooner or later have to make choices. It wants to keep its options open, but that may not be possible. And I think Emily just said it surprises her when they start appreciating India's needs to have its own relationship priorities. So yes, maybe we may want to do that, but what if we are pushed to making a choice? And I wanted to get your views. We'll start with you, Emily, because you wanted to make a point and then we'll come to you, Dr. Padhya. Um, yeah, I mean, I, but I, I think we're sort of seeing the, the world that you just outlined, right? It's not, it's not like, oh, what if one day we're back in the cold? I mean, we're sort of, we're there by any other name right now. Um, U.S.-Russia US relations are, are bad. Um, and we can, to, to the general's point, I mean, we can go, as Americans and Russians often do, back and forward over who, who started that and was it Libya or was it Crimea or was it 2016 or was it NATO and so on and so forth. But the, the reality is that relations are not good. Um, and I think when one looks at U.S.-China relations today, we are also seeing this kind of Cold War thinking um, and not just from the United States. I think that there, I think that there's a lot of um, hostility toward the two right now, um, and and India is doing it right. So even even in this extremely difficult situation that we have, India is nevertheless managing to work with the Quad and still hosting Lavrov and still uh, apparently deepening defense ties. Um, what and and. I think that actually a, a greater challenge or a great challenge for the India-Russia relationship is, um, is broadening it out beyond defense, right? And into business ties and people to people ties, which has less to do with the United States. So I appreciate that it's in a difficult decision and I, can, I appreciate that the US and, and Russia do not always take um, the same nuanced view of foreign policy that India does. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that you're talking about in the future, if there's another Cold War, what will we do? And I, I guess what I'm saying is that that future is, is here, yeah. right? And, and we're seeing what India is doing, which is continuing to work with both the United States and Russia 
in different ways, right? It's not, but it's not, it's been 50 years since 1971. So it's only natural that it would be, that the permutations would look different. But at the end of the day, our arms, like we've talked about earlier, either we source them from Russia and then they're not compatible with the US. So it's pretty clear to the US that we will not be taking, becoming a big importer of arms from them. Or we change the direction to the US, which would be basically breaking off with Russia. So at least from a defense side, there might be needed we might, need, we might need to make a choice. Sorry, I'll get Dr. Padha on that one. Yes. So, uh, okay, um, you know, when talk about non-alignment, I think what happened was in the beginning, uh, the term non-alignment was kind of misunderstood by the Americans. You know, for the Americans, it meant, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us. Whereas non-alignment actually didn't mean that. It didn't mean that India would deliberately follow a policy which would be opposite to that of uh, either of the powers. And uh, of course, indeed, it is true that we did lean on the Soviets during the Cold War and during the 71 conflict. But I think all that has changed now. And today, the foreign minister says that we follow a policy of multi-alignment or issue-based alignment, which means we India will align with different powers based on different issues, which is not very different from non-alignment because that what it means is we'll follow independent foreign policy. And I think over the years, America has also learned uh, its lessons on how to deal with India. And they realize, as Emily rightly pointed out, that India is unlike any of the allies that they've been used to dealing with, like uh, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. And therefore, and India is a country with whom they can do business. And there are multiple factors there as well, you know, the Indian diaspora and so many other things that we have going on with America. And therefore, in the long term, they realize that, you know, they, you know, India is a country with whom they can have a strategic partnership, which we really have now. At the same time, uh, I think, you know, I believe we are now in a post-unipolar world, moving towards a multipolar world. Some may believe that we are already in a multipolar world and India is one of the poles there. And I think uh, that's how the world order is going to be structured. These great powers, uh, you know, the different poles are going to be aligned with each other on various issues. And uh, they, there might be alignment uh, on certain issues like climate change or pandemics and things like that. But there will be other issues on which uh, different powers may, uh, you know, be against each other. So I think that is the reality that we'll have to deal with uh, in the new world order. Thank you, sir. There's an audience question that I'd like to ask. There are a few questions which are sort of more, on the, more or less on the same lines. There's one which is saying to Russia, is, Ch is China a better strategic partner to Russia than India? Another one asks, even if India's weak economy currently suddenly surges forward, the truth is Sino-Russian links are far better than those with India and between India and Russia. We already know there's not much of trade up besides defense imports. So how real is how realist is India about uh, its relationship with Russia? As in, I think what the question, what the person is asking is like, like China offers far better value to Russia than India. So can we really rely on Russia going forward? Yes, sir, Mr. General Governor. Like, uh, thank you, Yajur. Like Ambassador Sajanhar said, the Russia-China combine is a very artificial combine. China, Russia is as very, uh, today it has no choice. It is a junior partner. Like he said, we are towing the Chinese line. Yeah, I mean, they have no choice. China is a market for them. China, they can export to them. The, their gas, etc., which Europe is trying to turn off the tap, uh, close the tap, we send it here today. But in the long term, 
please understand china if it gets big and becomes a superpower the russians have more to lose they already they were talk, they are talking of vladivostok yeah in the greater china map i mean they there is there it is very it's a very complicated relationship and india the russians are more in convergence with india over a long term it's i'm not talking of short term once with the pandemic and the us are putting pressure everything will get work out the there's likely to be a us russian summit next month i mean this is while you're talking hypothetically at the moment but we need to understand that russia china equation or this bonhomie is very temporary russia is never going to let china be the big brother they're too proud for that they're too big for that they're too powerful for that yeah and they're not used to being junior partners but at yeah. the same time people say the same thing about us india as well that india is just a convenient tool for the us to contain china but at the end of the day they have so many disagreements whether it's on trade climate policy a lot of it, human rights so there is not much convergence between us and india besides the aim to contain china and what if the us and china reach a different kind of agreement where they don't really need to contain china anymore what is can we rely on the us which is more transactional in its nature then more of somebody who's kind of like you can trust over long term as the um, ambassador sajan i wanted to make a point so i'll let okay. him bring him on this first so you're on mute you have raised a number of issues and also general karbanda he and i fully agree with what general karbanda said because at the moment the russians uh, don't have a choice so you know they are forced to and the credit for all this goes to the west and to uh, to the united states in particular but uh, i don't see the us policy with respect to russia changing in any significant way because even and i don't think mr biden will want to do it because the democrats are firmly against emily you could uh, comment on that you are there you know it uh, much better you see it day in and day out and also the congress will not allow uh the, this sort of a thing warming up between uh, us and russia to happen mr trump tried uh, desperately but the congress would not let him and so uh, you know i don't foresee that uh, this is going to happen in the near uh, this thing but still uh, you mentioned uh, yajur about problems that india and uh, the united states have between each other let me tell you also that there are problems between russia and china also huge problems because china is trying to you know gain uh, entree and access to the arctic and that is something that is very very uh, sensitive for uh, russia so russia has invited india to partner it as far as the arctic is concerned china is trying to project itself whatever is the term it uses as a near neighbor of the arctic and so on and so forth there is no concept of that nature <laughs> you'd recall in 2019 when prime minister modi went as the chief guest at the eastern economic forum in vladivostok you know there was talk of uh, mobility of uh, uh, workers from india going there because they are mortally afraid of chinese coming there and uh, sort of you know occupying that uh, region you would have seen very recently there was a, a twitter uh, post that was made by the russian embassy in beijing about celebration of 160 
years of uh, Vladivostok as a Russian territory. And uh, there was uh, such a furor in China that that is our territory. So, you know, this expansionism of China is well known to Russia. So that is why Russia also wants to hedge its bets as far as this is concerned. Now, the last question that you raised, whether, you know, United States and uh, China might make up, I don't think it is going to happen. It might have been possible in the uh, Obama uh, era. Uh, it is not going to happen now because right now it is, uh, uh, China poses a systemic challenge to uh, uh, America and it poses a challenge to the domination, influence and hegemony of uh, the United States as far as the world is concerned. So uh, I don't think there is any way, you know, there might be on certain peripheral matters that there might be agreement. They might have to work on climate change. They might have to work on nuclear non-proliferation, on uh, arms control treaties, et cetera. But uh, on a broader picture, whether it is because what China has uh, uh, positioned itself as, as an opponent to the uh, uh, rule of law and the international order, which is uh, being created uh, uh, since the Second World War, and particularly as far as the democratic systems are concerned. So I think uh, there is, uh, of course, in international relations, uh, you can never say never, but I don't think under the present circumstances, I don't see any uh, possibility of uh, that happening. Okay, I'll, I'll bring in Emily for a quick one and then uh, Brigadier Pradeep Sharma. But before that, since you're talking about US and Russia, I would like to start a poll. Um, and basically, you everybody can see this now. Can India trust the US? And can India trust Russia? I just want to get like a general view of people who are watching this. What is the perception these days? Um, so launch poll. I think you can see it now. Um, okay, Emily, on to yeah. you. Okay, very quickly. Um, I think to the ambassador's point, I completely, I completely agree. Um, about US-Russia relations. I think that they have become, it's not, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where in my opinion, um, it's not productive, right? You, you can't, if you, if you are a policymaker who says, I don't think that we, I don't think it's bad to have diplomats and to have dialogue with Russia, this is like no longer within the realm of an acceptable opinion. And I think that that, I personally think that that's um, damaging and limiting. So yes, I agree on the sort of, tense nature of the uh, of US-Russia relations. And I think that the ambassador is also right about China. I think in all likelihood, this is going to, once, you know, it's once this, uh, it gets momentum, right? This, this new Cold War picks up steam and then it's hard, uh, particularly for the United States and, and for policymakers here to break out of it. Um, that's point one. Point two is to General's point, I, I agree that I think India has a strong case to make by saying, look, you, you guys pushed Russia to China unless you completely want Russia to go to China, which you shouldn't, um, let us keep talking to them. Let us keep working with them. You know, and, and you know, Crimea happened, whatever that's, the, the reality is, Russia is now tight with China. Unless you want that to kind of break off, it's not productive to just, to have nobody in the world engage with Russia. Um, and the third thing is, you know, to your point actually, that Russia is the junior partner to China, it does, you know, India doesn't want to be the junior partner to the US. I think that's part of the reason that the India-Russia relationship is going to endure, right? Neither one of these countries wants to play second fiddle to this, to this, uh, respectfully, to the stronger, you know, on the classic foreign policy sense, to the stronger power. And so they have, 
it's one of the reasons that the relationship with one another will continue. And that I, I don't think that either India or Russia looks at the other now, maybe in the past, but now I don't think either one looks at the other as the junior partner, right? I think it's actually a partnership, which is a rare and valuable thing in, in foreign policy. Thanks, Abhi. Abigail, Sharma, you wanted to yeah, uh, just a few quick ones. Uh, yeah, just, uh, go back to 1949, where uh, Mao Zedong told the Chinese that there was no middle path. They had to either go towards, uh, lean towards imperialism or socialism, one or the other. And he says there's no third option. And that's how they, they, they sort of adopted, uh, you know, the communist, social, uh, social communist uh, uh, Pattern. Thereafter, through the 70s, actually Russia confronted China with an arms buildup and, and other such posturing. And ultimately, both China and Russia settled their boundary disputes and they started cooperation. In fact, there's a very successfully organized uh, realignment. Thereafter, the Chinese jettisoned Russia and aligned with the US. And today, they are now on a path of confrontation with the US and back to aligning with, uh, with Russia. And behind the curtain in Russia, there are whispers that the Chinese may tomorrow pose a challenge to Russia itself. So it's a, it's a you know, uh, there's a web between the web and, and a lot of imponderables in the present situation. Second, we don't know how the vacuum created by the US forces withdrawal from Afghanistan is going to shape up in the near future. Third, the growing tension in South China Sea and you know the string of islands and the first line and the second line which the, which the US has put up and a countermeasure by Chinese deploying their weaponry to target the first and the second line. And therefore, how useful can India make itself both uh, to the US and to the Russians? And can India meet the requirements and demands placed on it by either side, maybe in Afghanistan, maybe in the, in the you know, ocean region, maybe in the economy, and what does India gain to benefit? Will it manage to resolve the escalated tensions on the border? Are our armed forces or is the Indian military uh, you know, uh, strength gonna be built up? We are now in a make in India mode. How long is it gonna take us for transfer of technology? There are imponderables one after the other. So I personally feel it's too early for us to really lay down a, you know, a, 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 a firm line and a commitment that this is which way India is going to go. That's very clear to me. And going by past precedents set by the Chinese, where they changed their partners for the betterment of the country, well, I guess India can also choose that option. So till the time you have both partners, Emily, notwithstanding that you are listening in, we, we, India would do well to exploit the situation and graduate as fast as possible towards self-sufficiency. 
no self-respected nation is going to go with a hat in their hands and say, look, big brother, I need your help. So I would rest my case there. We have these challenges and we have to grow and we have to rise to the occasion. And it, it just doesn't rest only on the government. The government can make policies, but it's the people who have to deliver. Thank you. So challenges can be turned into opportunities, but thank you for bringing up Afghanistan. I wanted to touch, touch base on that. So um, with the US exit, India has been kept pretty much out of all discussions around how the place is going to shape up in a post-US uh, future, uh, for whatever reasons, presumably on the behest of Pakistan and China. I wanted to get your take on whoever wants to talk on this one. What is, um, should India be participating in the peace and safekeeping in the Afghanistan region in a post-US world? Or should we just take completely out as some analysts? I don't know who wants to take that question. Yes, sir, please. So you, yes. Yeah, let me not uh, sort of, you know, uh, uh, start with the oft repeated cliche, you know, what India wants is an Afghan controlled, Afghan owned and uh, Afghan centered peace and reconciliation process. But I think uh, Afghanistan is very important for India. So, you know, we just cannot call it quits. We have to be there. And uh, not only for the $3 billion plus of uh, aid that we have uh, given in terms of uh, assistance and support, whether it is the Afghanistan-India Friendship Dam that got completed uh, very recently, I think 2016, the parliament building, the Pula Khumri transmission line, the Zaranjilaram road, or any of the other, you know, in all the 34 districts, we have high uh, impact community development projects there. So our stakes uh, in terms of development are huge. Even uh, more, uh, even uh, uh, bigger stakes are in terms of uh, India's security. We've seen what happened to IC814 in 1999 and you know, what is the sort of impact it had. So uh, having a, a peaceful, uh, sovereign, uh, democratic, stable, secure Afghanistan is definitely in India's interest and in the other interests of the other countries. Now, India will uh, engage, India is engaging with uh, the uh, Kabul government. We have excellent relations with uh, the Ghani government and before that, the Karzai government. And also, I think the latest move by Mr. Blinken, when he had said, uh, he said India will also be at the high table, at the negotiating table. And I'm sure India is reaching out, meaning I don't have any confirmed uh, uh, information or evidence to that effect. But I'm sure that India is reaching out to all stakeholders in Afghanistan to ensure that there is peace and security, then that our own interests are also protected. Yes. Thank you. So you wanted to make a point, Emily, on this one? No, sorry, maybe oh, I'm- No, no, sorry, just holding my head. Um, no, I, 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 would not, uh, I would not think to tell India what it should do in Afghanistan, so I'll- Okay, okay. So um, changing gears, I wanted to also bring up another important aspect here, which is Kashmir. So it's obviously a very important issue for India and Russia has been a key supporter of uh, India on all international forums. With regards to Kashmir, Moscow has exercised its veto. We all know this. They've exercised the veto five times. More recently in 2019, when India had revoked Article 317 Kashmir, 
and China wanted to take that issue to the United Nations Security Council. Again, Russia used its weight to not get that, um, to, so that it was not brought into the UN Security Council agenda. So my question is like, as Russia is now becoming a little more balanced because it also has to balance its obligations to China and Pakistan, and we are orienting ourselves more and more to US, not just militarily, but in other aspects as well. As you mentioned, we are becoming strategic partners. Can we expect the same level of support from the US? So what if like the Russia stops using its weight to support India when these kind of issues come up? On the other hand, we have a United States with the Joe Biden administration, which has which does not look positively at India's human rights uh, record. It does not look, especially in context of Kashmir, so is India risking a change at the international forum where we start, so far we've retained that Kashmir is an internal matter. Do you think that sort of changes if Russia takes a back seat and US starts to take a very hard, a harsh stance against India on that? Um, sorry. I, yes, sir, sorry. Jennifer Vandal. Yeah, Yajur, as far as Kashmir goes, today the situation has changed. Earlier, we were totally dependent on the Soviet Union to bail us out in the Security Council. Today, while India is itself trying to get up there, the situation has changed. Even if, hypothetically, the Americans are not too happy with our human rights uh, record, we have the British, we have the French. I mean, uh, we, we are not alone today in, in, in today's world. We are not solely, we, we were at one point of time solely dependent. That has totally changed and we don't have to get worried. Jammu and Kashmir is ours. It is for us to do what we deem fit. Period. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Please go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Sharma, you have a, yes, please go ahead, sir. So, yeah, no. Once again, I think uh, as far as Jammu and Kashmir is concerned, uh, there may be some ripples internally, but it's a done and dusted deal. And whether the US look, uh, soft points in in the buildup of any country will be probed uh, by others when they find that there is something which is not going in their interest. For example, in China, people will raise Tibet, they will raise Taiwan, they will raise Hong Kong. So we have this soft point of, of, of Kashmir with one country or the other uh, in a disagreement may sort of poke into to try and uh, cause some ripples. But I think we are now uh, firm enough to take those ripples in our stride and, and, and carry on with whatever we are doing. It's, it's, it's not going to be uh, troublesome to us at all. We don't, we don't poke China on Taiwan. We need to. Kong, Tibet, Xinjiang, any, but that's a matter for a different debate. But that's also something I think a very important topic to be discussed. When we get poked in Kashmir, why don't we poke them on all these matters, especially Xinjiang now? With um, Ambassador Sajinar, please go ahead. Yes, very quickly on this. Uh, you know, meaning uh, basically China took this matter in August uh, to the UN Security, August 2019 in UN Security Council because of the 
you know, abrogation of Article 370 and the change of uh, the yeah. status in Jammu and Kashmir to two union territories and not a state. Now, I agree with uh, what General Kharbanda said. Exactly, you know, all these countries, UK, US, uh, France came to the aid and said, you know, that this is an issue that does not need to be discussed in a formal manner. There was not even a chairman's statement that came out. Second point that I would like to make is that all these countries again came to India's aid when China was putting this technical veto on Masood Azhar, you know, since we are discussing uh, Kashmir. On Masood Azhar from 2009 onwards, China had been putting this technical veto that we need more evidence, that we need more explanations as to why this should be done. And China was called out that either you come out with the reasons or we will take uh, this uh, to, uh, you know, from the 1267 committee to the UN Security Council to the full, and we'll ask you to explain the reasons. And that is when uh, China sort of, you know, uh, gave up its veto. So I think there is, uh, on, on terms of the substantive issues, India has huge amount of support. Now, you know, on these issues, uh, whether it is human rights or here or there, there are a uh, uh, number of issues which we have with the United States, which U.S. might have with us and with other countries. I don't think they really, in any significant sense, uh, change uh, or dilute the strength and the uh, dynamism of uh, our relationship. Yes, Thank you, sir. So, um, Dr. Upadhyay, I'd like to also bring your view on this matter. Yes, I agree, entirely agree with what uh, these two speakers said, General Karbanda and the Master has said. Uh, that uh, we really have uh, support on Kashmir and not only that, in, on every other issue. And I think the common threat here is China. And therefore, if you look at how the Quad is evolving uh, the, in the post-COVID world, uh, I think countries have now realized that uh, there are, you know, there's a need to kind of diversify supply chains away from China. There's a need to engage with other countries. We see foreign direct investment coming into India. All of this is because India needs to be propped up uh, as an alternate to China. And therefore, in a post-COVID world, uh, I don't think the, we, we will find more, more and more support. And uh, many of the issues, I think Kashmir and all are now, I think, could be regarded as very minor issues, which really will not come up for global debate in any case. So I think uh, I completely agree with what uh, the Master and General Karbanda said on this. Okay. And Emily, I think you, do you also agree with that? Or you think there could be? You know, because I know I, the I, Biden I, administration, there are people who have very strong views on this. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, generally speaking, um, you are correct to observe that that human rights or democracy are, are become more of a sticking point with the United between India and the United States than between India and Russia. Um, Ambassador Sen, who I think was going to be on this panel, but I interviewed him back in Delhi, and he said, you know, people always think that there's there was an ideological closeness between India and the Soviet Union. Actually, the ideological closeness was between India and the United States, and that added pressure, right? And actually the fact that the Soviet Union and India were these different systems and they both respected that and kind of went on their way, that that helped. I kind of do think that we have a similar dynamic today. And now I think so far in the Biden administration, we have not seen um, much made of this, to be honest. I think the focus has really been on, on China and the strategic partnership. And he spoke earlier on about a summit of democracies, um, which again, I think, on the one hand, it, it broadens out the partnership, and on the other hand, it adds this layer of pressure and interrogation, right? And what, well, what about rights in your countries? What about rights in our country? Um, and so it's, it's on the one hand, 
on the one hand, it, it could serve to make the, par the partnership more robust, right? Like the two great democracies and et cetera, et cetera. But it, it, it does add, um, as someone said, it's a, a, a potential soft spot for the relationship. I'm not saying that it, that it will undo the whole thing, um, but I do think that it's a challenge that India and the United States will have that India and Russia just for a variety of reasons don't have. Um, and to your point, you know, I wanted to bring up the whole vaccine debacle issue where India's request for vaccine raw material uh, bank be lifted, uh, wavered for India, was not taken. But it seems to me that it had very little impact on the impression Indians have of the US. So when I look at the poll results, it seems like 60% of people think we can trust the US, which is slightly higher than most people think of Russia, 50% people think we can trust the Russia. So clearly it seems like the US is still uh, favored by most people. But uh, to wrap up, if I had to summarize, it seems like most of us here believe that Russia, you, India relations may have evolved, but they are still pretty strong, not going to get impacted by these little things here and there. And it is not only in the interest of India and Russia to remain friends um, and allies, but also in the interest of United States, which is unlikely to sort of cause the fissures. Thank you all. It was very insightful uh, conversation, very insightful session for me, definitely, and hopefully for everyone who attended. Thanks a lot for joining. Um, just wanted to share with you. So for the next debate on uh, next week on Sunday, we'll be hosting a debate on the topic, which we had organized a while ago, but we sort of postponed it in the situation, is whether India is obsessed with Pakistan, context being that a lot of people globally think that India's political rhetoric, defense, defense strategy, as well as foreign policy seem to be overly dominated by Pakistan, a country clearly much smaller in terms of economy and military. So that is a puzzle. And then sort of people asked, why is India obsessed with Pakistan? So we wanted to address that. And uh, we have a very interesting lineup of speakers. So I'll, I just, before we wrap up today, I just wanted to get your quick one minute take on that each of you. So we'll start with you, um, General Karbanda, please. Uh, what you're saying is right, but that's history. Having fought three wars with them, <clears throat> they were the perpetual thorn in the side. And today, they are. Uh, we should be treating them with the disdain they deserve. I mean, the, it is futile wasting time talking about Pakistan and we know where the actual problem is. We have to look east or northeast. China is the guy we have to be worried about. Pakistan is a nuisance. It's a thorn in our side, period. Thank you, sir. We'll move on to who's next. Yeah, okay. You, uh, Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Yajur, uh, uh, actually, we've been blindsided for some... Sorry. Uh, Am I on or? Uh, yeah, you're on. We are, we are listening to you. Yes. Yeah, we've been blindsided by the by, by uh, you know being too passive uh, towards the, the Chinese side, and they've 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 outplayed us, outsmarted us because they have a a treaty of uh, peace and tranquility along the borders with us, but they are using Pakistan to keep us engaged that side. Okay, and we're not addressing the Chinese. And, but we keep yelling and screaming at the Pakistanis. So I entirely agree with the general. It's time, even our politicians, uh, you know, 
stopped even responding to uh, uh, the Pakistani uh, sort of tribe, the other side, and so does the media. And we must focus to the main uh, uh, threat, which is to the north and the east. If we can silence and contain China, Pakistan is going to fall in place on its own. Focus on the cause, not on the symptom. Thank you, sir. Just a small point, Yajur. Yes. Basically, it is our ignorance of China and what is happening across the Himalayan wall. We are all very comfortable talking about Pakistan. Whether it's our intelligence agencies or what have you, because I have been in this game for over 20 years. I have seen we are we have to get our things right across to the, towards China, Pakistan. It's very convenient to talk about. You, one feels more comfortable talking about Pakistan than China. Yeah, we also have historical legacy, well, cultural and historical reasons there. Yes, sir. Dr. Um, Amasa Sajinhar, please go ahead. Okay, you know, uh, I don't think it's only, uh, it's been only India that has been uh, blindsided by China because, you know, we have had these agreements from 1993, 96, 2005, 12, 13. And we thought, uh, you know, like any responsible international stakeholder, China would stick to those agreements. And till now it had done so, except for some uh, incursions in 2013 and Depsang 2014. And then of course, in 2017, we had Doklan. I think it was the whole world that had been blindsided by this. You know what the professor mentioned, uh, uh, meaning from starting from the Olympics in 2008. And then we had 2009, the, the, the nine dash line that was drawn by Hu Jintao at that time. And after that, uh, 2012-13 when Xi Jinping has come, CPEC started in uh, 2015 and BRI in 2013. So I think the whole world, including Mr. Obama, he was taken in when Xi Jinping told him in 2015 that we are not going to militarize the South China Sea. So everyone was taken in. But I think what uh, the uh, Chinese also seem to have got a jolt because they seem to have miscalculated and miscalculated very, uh, 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 wrongly, a huge miscalculation, because when they thought that in uh, Doklam they will have a easy ride over this, they were quite taken aback. They never expected India to come in. And I think even last year in May, exactly a year from now, when they started the first skirmish on the bank, North Bank of Pangong Lake on 5th of May, I don't think they ever expected that India would be able to come up with this uh, sort of deployment, 50,000 troops, mirror deployment of tanks and aircrafts and everything. They thought that what they had been used to, that is through, uh, you know, flexing their muscles, through information, psychological warfare, you say how powerful we are and the other side will sort of, you know, come on its knees as it had happened in South China Sea, with Vietnam, with Philippines and the others. They thought the same thing would happen to India, but it didn't happen. So I think it is uh, uh, not only India, but uh, now the message has gone very clearly to China and to the world that uh, India is not going to uh, succumb to such uh, pressures uh, by China. You know, maybe you need to have a separate session on China or India-China relations because it is too uh, big a uh, uh, subject to be taken. But the big point I want to make is that uh, India now recognizes that China is earlier, it was a competitor. 
Now it is an adversary. India realizes it's an adversary and it will sort of focus all its attention, whether it is economic might, military might, or even its international alliances like the Quad, that might will go basically to ensure that we are able to maintain our sovereignty and territorial integrity against China. Thank yes. You. Yes. Uh, so, uh, on your comment on you know whether India, uh, you know, the strategic thinking in India has been dominated by Pakistan, that was true, maybe until a decade ago, but that has changed now and the focus is entirely on China. But I think the going going forward, uh, we need to realize that the real threat is going to be a Sino-Pak nexus. And we see developments of the Chinese naval base in Gwadar, uh, economic connectivity, and physical connectivity through the BRI. Once all of that is in place, and then the Sino-Pak nexus is what is going to become the real threat. So it's too early to say that we should take our eyes off Pakistan at this stage and simply look at China, which is not correct. We should actually be looking at both. And that is, which is something, you know, which is a real threat. And that is why we really need the quad to take care of, uh, you know, a challenge like that. Thanks, sir. I mean, you wanted to add, you want to add on that point. Our perception is from Washington, D.C. Um, I am definitely not going to opine on whether India is obsessed with Pakistan. I think that is not <laughs> the role I want to play today. But how it looks when you look yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I will say, it's funny. I was once at a talk and I believe it was the foreign minister of Pakistan said, um, he was like, you know, you guys are such good friends with the Indians now, but don't forget who your original friends were. We, we were originally the, 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 the power that was close to the U.S., um, which to me is interesting, right? Because it's another reminder of, of the ways in which uh, historical relations hold or don't. The only other thing I would say on this is that I completely agree with the ambassador that, you know, if you go back and read transcripts from Obama's early conversations with Xi, they do not, you would not be able to guess from that that we would be where we are today with China. Um, and I guess to me, that's a reminder that although we have all forecasted today, um, we don't really know what the next 10 years with 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 China or indeed with any country will be either. And I'll I'll leave it there. Thank you, Thank you all of you. This was a huge, a huge honor to have all of you. And it was very enlightening for me. Um, so for all the attendees here, Next week, we will be having a debate on this topic, is India obsessed with Pakistan? And among the panelists, we will be having uh, G. Partha Sarathi, who's the former spokesperson of Ministry of External Affairs and as well as the ambassador to Myanmar. We will have Major General Bakshi, who's uh, our retired army chief and the veteran of Indo-Pak War of 1971 and Kabir War. And we will have Dr. Shiram Cholia, who's the professor and dean of General School of International Affairs, author and social scientist. Michael Kugelman, who is the director of Asia Program, South Asia, uh, at the Wilson Institute in Washington, D.C., and Tariq Fateh, who is a very well-known Pakistani-Canadian journalist and author. We hope, to, we hope all of you can join us for that debate. Thank you. We hope you liked this episode, where we discussed the question, can India get closer to the United States without alienating Russia? Our mission is to make the world's most complex intellectual ideas accessible and comprehensible for everyone. Signing off, Argumentative Indians. <laughs>